Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. What's up, everybody? This is the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're going to talk about the basketball game last night. Uh, We're going to talk about what happened around the Pac-12, what to expect uh, from the rest of the weekend from the Pac-12, including Colorado's game against Stanford tomorrow on Saturday uh, in Boulder. Hopefully, I'll see you guys up there. Um, I want to talk about the retired numbers that were unretired a couple days ago. Haven't had a chance to talk about those at all. Um, probably some other stuff too. Whatever comes up. But before we do that, uh, I should let you know that if you're going to the Buffs game tomorrow, you need to stop at Illegal Pete's before or after because if you get a entree you buy an entree you'll get a free draft beer or a free margarita uh, it's an incredible deal the atmosphere is great there are two locations in boulder there are six in denver one in fort collins um just the best nachos the best tacos the best burritos uh, it's so good they have local bands they have sports on tv it's a local business so it feels better than supporting other burrito shops and uh it's all affordable fresh they use recyclable products and materials it's just perfect. Um, they also cater. I'm not sure if you can show them a ticket when they're catering and get something for free, but it's definitely worth checking out either way. Uh, again, show them your ticket the day of any game or event in Colorado, and you'll get a free draft beer or a free margarita with the purchase of an entree. Okay. Um, so the basketball game last night, Colorado won. That's what's important. And, It kind of leaves a weird taste in your mouth. Um, I don't want to be the guy who says, like, it's a bad win. I I don't think you should ever be trying to make that point. Either you win the game or you don't, and what's important is that you come out on top. But I will say that if Colorado plays the way it did last night, tomorrow against Stanford, I'm not so sure that they're going to pull that game out. Uh Colorado won 71-65. Uh, it's a you know decent margin. Maybe not when you're 16 point favorites going into the game, but you know it was close all the way through for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, Tad was frustrated after the game, as you'd expect. When he's he he has different types of frustration. I think the post win frustration is probably the least scary but you know because he's just sitting up there saying you know we didn't know that their best guard was left-handed 
for the first half of the game, and that was on the scouting report. You know, you get lines like that out of him where it's kind of a joke, and he's trying to make light of it, but at the same time, you're just like, wow, he, he's he's just feeling lucky they came away with a win in that one. Um, it was a weird game. It was not, honestly, the most fun game to watch, and, and that's kind of the first time I've thought that this season. Typically, especially for a close game, it, it just seemed like Colorado was dragging all night Cal was shooting well but they aren't a great basketball team you know they're 10 and 12 overall as a Pac-12 team um it was ugly and it was it was kind of rough to watch but but I think some of the weirdest parts is that it was this close but Colorado didn't have the same problems that they typically have. You know, they they only had 10 turnovers in a game like this that they almost lost. And, and that's not true. You know, they, they picked it up late. The last five minutes, they were firmly in control. All the way through, you, you were pretty confident that Colorado was going to win that game just because they were more talented. Their shots just weren't falling. But still, for it to be that close and to only have 10 turnovers, to only have given up two offensive rebounds... You know, th- those are the things that typically flare up in, in this type of game, a six-point win over a pretty weak Cal team. Um, but that wasn't it tonight. Uh, honestly, it was just the poor shooting. Um, it got better late, but at, at one point, I think Colorado was 3 of 16 from 3, and Cal was four of eight. So Colorado had shot twice as many three-pointers, and Cal had made more three-pointers. It was just that kind of night. And and Cal got some good looks. They made some tough shots. Uh, Colorado missed some good looks. They missed some pretty easy shots close to the rim. Um, but it was just gross. It was really gross. Um Tad keeps track of a stat called kills. I don't think we've talked about the kills in a couple of months now, but his coaching staff, they they count um, whenever the Colorado defense gets three stops in a row, and they call those kills. So three possessions down the floor, they get no points out of it, that's a kill. Um, And and they say the goal is to get three kills per half, uh, six per game. Last night they got one in each half. Um, and then the reason for that is when you get those kills, those are your opportunities to run away with a game, um, to, to build a lead, to go on a run. And, you know, Colorado obviously didn't do that. They didn't put themselves in a situation where they could score six straight points, score four or five straight points. Um, it was just so back and forth and back and forth and they couldn't pull away. Um, it was pretty much just like a three point game one way or the other for what's he it's how long is there 40 minute games like 30 32 minutes probably 33 minutes uh, before Colorado kind of pulled away and still only wound up being a six point win um so that's a problem uh Cal they, they started hot I think they made their first five shots uh, and there were a couple turnovers in there too again they didn't play the most clean basketball game the ball was just falling for them when they threw it up um you know, it started there. Uh, you realized pretty quickly that this wasn't going to be the game that we kind of expected it to be. You know, I, I did think that this was probably going to be a pretty easy Colorado win. Um, 
I thought they would be up by 10 to 15 points at halftime and then throw another three or four, maybe five points on top of that margin in the second half and move on to Stanford. But that's not what happened. Um, You know, nobody could score the basketball. Nobody could score the basketball. Um, And the defense wasn't all that bad, I didn't think, uh, particularly in the first half, especially if you don't include those first five minutes or so. But uh, after that... They, I guess they couldn't string stops together, and it's because Cal made those tough shots. Um, getting getting into some specifics, uh, I will say that Tyler Bay played pretty well. Um, not a perfect game by any means, but particularly in that second half, he took off, uh, got a couple quick buckets, kind of changed the tone of things, um, made it pretty clear that Colorado was still in charge of this game, even if they couldn't pull away. Uh, he finished with 21 points on 8 of 14 shooting, 10 rebounds. Um, Evan Batty was called for some tough fouls. Uh, only ended up playing 19 minutes in this game. At one point, he walked into the locker room. I think he got ca- called for a foul, pulled out of the game. Then he walked into the locker room and came back five minutes later. I would have loved to have been in that locker room when he was in there because I don't know. I mean, there were no trainers with him. He wasn't limping. Maybe he just had to go to the bathroom. I don't know. But he seemed pretty frustrated. I just... its It was a tough one. Uh, he finished with four points and three rebounds and four fouls. Uh, another tough night for Evan Batty, and he started to have a couple of those. And I, I do think that Tad made a great point after the game when he said that at this point in the season, every team knows what other team wants to do and what other teams do when they're successful. Uh, And the key is just identifying those things and then coming up with a way to stop them. Um, And he said, whoever does a better job of that is going to end up winning the close games. And I think that that's a really good point. And that's kind of what Cal did. Cal didn't try to offensive rebound. You know, I mentioned that they only grabbed the two. That's because for the most part, they were all just leaking back up the court. They were not allowing any transition looks for Colorado. And, you know, McKinley wants to get out and run. Uh, Tyler Bay is incredible in transition. You know, they have a bunch of guys who really shine in those situations. They take advantage of their fast break opportunities. And Cal got rid of those um, at at the cost of offensive rebounding. Uh, They didn't have anybody crashing the glass. But... It, it was kind of an interesting tactic. And I think I think McKinley said that it was something that he, he they hadn't seen all season. And so that part of it kind of caught him off guard. And you just have to adjust and get used to it. Um, and by doing that, Cal really set the, the tone of the game, really uh, set the speed of the game, the pace, uh, because they have those big men. that They, they want to bully you. They want the long possessions. They don't want to let you get out and run and speed the game up. And Colorado didn't have a chance to change that pace. Um, there wasn't an opportunity to really push and push and get things going. And then Tad also made the point: you, you can't you can't run a fast break off a made basket. It just doesn't work like that. And there were a lot of made baskets. A Cal shot fifty five point six from the field, fifty three point eight from three. Only made eight of seventeen free throws though. Um, so again. Th- 
Colorado's defense needs to be better. Um, that said, Cal did make some pretty tough shots. It's similar to uh, UCLA late in that game last weekend when it just seemed like in those last few minutes the buffs were out on every shooter and they just made buckets with the hand in their face and so they ended up winning that game (sighs) the result changed you know colorado i think was pretty clearly the better team uh, but cal find a way found a way to made make them really fight for it um i don't know It, it honestly wasn't that fun to watch uh, especially compared to a bunch of the others. I do think that the Stanford game tomorrow is going to be a lot more fun. Um, Lucas Seawert really struggled, um, maybe for the first time this year. You know, he he hasn't been like a, a perfect player in every game by any means, but, I mean, this was by far his worst game of the season, um, and... Yeah, I, I, I can't think of too many performances looking back where I say, huh, you, you got to get quite a bit more out of Lucas. Um, he, he couldn't make shots. He really struggled, um, whether the looks were open, whether they were contested. He finished 0 for 7, uh, 0 for 4 from 3. And the real killer um, was the passing. Um you know, he he only was credited with one turnover, but it seemed like, especially late in that game, he just could not find a passing lane. Like the, like there 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 was one play where he's standing kind of in the corner, a step inside the three point line probably, and somebody I can't remember who is running around the three point arc kind of toward him, and he tries to pass that guy the ball, and the defender just has his arm out, and he isn't even looking at Lucas, but the ball just hits his arm and bounces out of bounds. And plays like that, it almost, like, maybe it's a bad decision, maybe you shouldn't even be forcing the ball there, even if you know there's no chance the defender's actually going to pick it off. Um, Maybe you can just try to hit your spot up above his arm and let your guy make a play on it. But at the same time, he's covered... And <laughs> he's pretty obviously covered, even if he isn't giving him a chance to make a play on the ball. Um, yeah, but it just seemed like that over and over. I think it might have been that same play. He he did, he like spun around and just slammed his nose right into the chest of his defender, um, and was like grabbing at his nose. Like it it looked like it really hurt. But stuff like that was happening to him all night. Um, he just could not get going uh, only had one point uh, had one assist four rebounds it was rough it was really rough um you know tad said after the game that he thought uh shane gatling did a great job and has done a great job providing more on offense when his shot isn't falling you know passing the ball, feeding guys, driving to get other people open, defending well, that kind of stuff. And he said that that's something that Lucas needs to learn how to do. Um, And, you know, to Lucas's credit, he hasn't had too many of these bad shooting games. And his role has been to play post-defense and then stretch the opposing defense by standing at the three-point line. And he'll go inside and work in the post a little bit, do that kind of stuff. But what's best for this team is when they can... They can defend an opposing big man with Lucas, 
but then also pull that big man out of the paint on the other end of the court and open up driving lanes for guys like McKinley, guys like Tyler Bay. Um, and when Lucas's shot isn't falling, like Tad said, he needs to be able to produce in other ways. Um, but this is the first time this season that he's really been put in a situation like this. So he, you know, Shane has had some off shooting nights. He's had a chance to play games where that isn't really an option where shooting the ball just isn't a great option for him. Um, that's new for Lucas and it's going to take a couple of bad games before he figures that out. Hopefully he just goes back to shooting the way he has been um, because he's been on fire all season all, as a senior um, to have somebody who's six foot 10 and is shooting what close to 40, a 38 and a half percent from three after missing four last night you really can't complain too much. Um, yeah, it's it's got to get just a little bit better. Um, just in case during the tournament, he does have an off night, uh, either one of the tournaments. Uh, so I did want to spend some time on that. I, I'm not worried about it. And, and Lucas, or, or Tad said the same thing. He said, Lucas has had a really good year for us, so I'm not going to get down on him after one game. Um Tad made some other good points. Um, he did point out that I think two weeks from now, the Buffs are going to Northern California to play Cal and to play Stanford. And he said, Cal now has confidence that they can play with Colorado. And they should have confidence because they did. And that's an interesting um, point to make. You know, I, I like I said, if you win a game, I'm not going to complain about it. You did what you had to do. That's what's important. But when you play a team twice in one season and you had a chance to just shut them down, the second time around, they are going to feel better and it's going to make that game just a little bit tougher. Um, so maybe there is something to that. I don't know. College sports are weird because how much you win by it does end up mattering in the end. Um, he also pointed out that they, they needed to make more free throws down the stretch. Both teams were pretty bad from the line. Uh, like I said, 8 of 17 for Cal. Or no, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And then uh, for the Buffs, 16 of 24 with some of those misses coming late when they could have just iced the game. Um, yep, got to get better. Um, I think that that's pretty much all I wanted to touch on. Um, and Tad did point out that I mean, he said himself, it's not the prettiest win. Reminds me of wins we had in this program in November and December. That's a good point. Um, he, he went on to add that he thinks that the team has really improved since then, but tonight or last night, it didn't look like the new team, this new and improved buffs that we've seen pop out against USC or, uh, against Oregon or, uh, you know, any any of these recent wins, really. Uh, it seems like they're either on or they're off. Um, but, yeah, he said it looked more like the team they were a couple months ago. Obviously, that can't happen. Uh, Deshaun Schwartz set a new season high in assists with four, and uh, he said that that's just because Tyler Bay's on his team and he fed him the rock. Um, Tyler also said that it was a point that he made um also he walked out he was the last one out of the tunnel and he was walking with tad after uh 
halftime. So I wonder if there was a conversation about that there. But Tyler did say I, I wanted to step up, and he definitely did. Um, yeah, McKinley Wright said our first half defense was terrible. There we go. I think that that's probably good on that. Um, not the most fun game to watch, but they they pulled out the win, and that's what matters going to the Stanford game. If, if they had played poorly against UCLA and won that game, we wouldn't care about it right now. Uh, same thing with Northern Iowa. We would not be talking about Northern Iowa at all if they would have just pulled out that game at the end. Um, so I do think that this is one that probably won't matter all that much um, a few weeks from now, at least once we get past the second Cal matchup. Um, also... I saw somebody tweet this. I'm not sure who tweeted it. Um, but I didn't realize the last time that Cal played here, it was also 28-28 at halftime. And it was also a pretty ugly game. But, uh, yeah. Again, that's enough on that. If you're trying to uh, get yourself hyped up for the game tomorrow, though, against Stanford, then you should be drinking some Breck beers before the game. Uh, Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of B, of DNVR. I almost said BSN Denver. That was almost my first BSN Denver in a while. Um, check out the Breckenridge event calendar on thednvr.com. You'll see all of the events we have planned. Um, we'll have Breck beers at all of them. Um, you can also go to Breckenridge Brewery's website and they have a beer locator. So you can pick whichever beer you want and it will tell you the nearest place you can buy it. So if you want some Strawberry Sky, some Colorado Core, some Hot Peak, you just click on that and it'll, it'll give you a bunch of options. Or if you don't care which one and you're like an out-of-stater, because Breckenridge Brewery is in 36 states, Breckenridge beers are, um, you can just go to the website like I do when I'm in Montana. Like when I'm in Missoula, it says within f- 100 miles or something, there are 40 places where I can get Breckenridge beers. I think it's more than that. But yes, use the beer locator. It's incredible. And if you want to try some Breckenridge beers, come out to Illegal Pete's on Colfax on Saturday and watch the Nuggets play the Suns with us. Um, so it's it's like a DMVR watch party, our first one at an Illegal Pete's. It's going to be a blast. Game's at 7. My plan is to go up to Boulder for the 4 o'clock Stanford game, of course, uh, watch a game, hit the press conference, drive straight back down, hit Illegal Pete's, uh, grab a burrito, edit a story from there, write my story from there, then get done with that in time to watch like the fourth quarter maybe catch the second half I don't know it depends on how easy it is to write and if the buffs just play the way they can play against Stanford I can be writing during most of the second half of that Stanford game that's always the best feeling when you have my job is when you know McKinley Wright goes off for 15 points in the first half and you're like okay well I know what the story is let me start writing about how great McKinley is and uh then you just plug in the quotes after when you get to talk to him about it. Um, games like Cal, it's a little bit tougher. Uh, so hopefully that's what's going to happen. So I'll just have a whole bunch of free time at Illegal Pete's. I'm definitely going to get a burrito. It's going to be a blast. All of our Nuggets guys are going to be there. A bunch of other DNVR people are going to be there. Um, great way to kick off the Illegal Pete's partnership, I think. And if you bring your ticket from the Buffs game, 
then you'll get your free margarita or free draft beer if you buy yourself a burrito. So what could be better? Um, especially if you're somebody like me who lives in Denver. Um, let's talk about the Hall of Fame. Before we get into the Hall of Fame, or not the Hall of Fame, the retired numbers being unretired, and I know there are some takes out there, um, I should mention that the that or Darren Cheverini was named one of the top 25 recruiters in the entire country by rivals for the second straight season. Uh, I actually haven't checked exactly which number he is on that list, but just to be in the top 25 uh, recruiting uh, for the entire country, like all of the coaches, all the assistant coaches, everybody, that's pretty cool. And he totally earned it. You look at the guys he brought in. Um, like I said, uh, Brian Mikulowski did a great job as well. Corday Hankton, uh, the New Orleans guy, was down in New Orleans uh recruiting Ashad Clayton big reason the buffs landed him uh, those guys are shout outs too but still worth recognizing that Darren Cheverini is that type of recruiter and it's it's good to have it's so important to have guys like him helping to build this program um, he deserves a shout out okay so in case you hadn't heard Ashad Clayton is going to wear number 24 next season. Um, And that's not a number that has been worn in over 80 years. Byron White wore number 24, well, I guess for his whole career, but they retired it in 1937 after he graduated. And nobody's worn it since. Um, You guys probably know who Wizard White is. He's... uh, incredible the mvp of the cotton bowl um he's the first ever all-american from colorado he made a name for himself in professional football as well um did all sorts of different things um the buffs were undefeated that year um until they lost in the bowl game um almost 1600 yards of total offense led the country Led the country in scoring, which is tough to do if you aren't a kicker. Put up 122 points. So all-time great buff. You guys all know that. And then, after he finished his football career, he went on to be a Supreme Court justice. So, there really isn't much more you can do to engrave yourself as an all-time great with the buffs than be an All-American, set all these records... And then go on to be a Supreme Court justice. Um, and his number was unretired, it sounds like. Um, th- so, th- so the buffs did go to his family. He died in 2004, I believe. Um, and, you know, his, his son said it's going to be an honor to watch number 24 in action for Colorado again. Um, so... You know, it's he, oh, he died in 2002, actually. Um, so his family is all right with it. They approved the decision. Um, it's still kind of weird. It's still weird. Um, I don't know what the conversation was like. You know, it, it does sound like Ashad wanted this number. He, he posted on Twitter and I think Instagram, too, 
about why the number is important to him has stuff to do with his family. I think his grandfather who passed, um, was this something that was his idea where the buffs talking about trying to unretire these numbers anyway? Um, because it wasn't just wizard white's number that was unretired this week. Uh, Joe Romig, who was a two time all American, um, his number 67 has been out since 1961. So that's another one that's been a long time. He was also a Rhodes Scholar. So was uh, Wizard White. <sighs> it's pretty crazy. Um, Bobby Anderson also had his number put back into circulation. He wore number 11. You know, this is a different one. I don't know. Uh, but but so his his was retired in 1969. Another All American, of course. Um, did a whole bunch of different things. Beat Bear Bryant in uh, the in a bowl game. I actually don't know. Oh, the Liberty Bowl. Um, beat Alabama. So that's another one. Eleven sixty-seven twenty-four. Uh, Anderson and Robic. Actually, there's a a super great woman who uh, runs a scholarship, actually the widow of Jim Murray. Uh, if you guys uh, know who that is, you should know who that is. One of the best sports writers of all time. Um, I won a scholarship in his name that that is, uh, the program is run by his widow, and she's really close with Bobby Anderson. She just like randomly told me that. I was like, no way, and it's pretty cool. That's a side note, and so I feel like I should be trying to get in touch with him. But uh, yeah, Bobby Anderson, obviously still alive. He approved it. Uh, Joe Romig, still alive. He also approved it. Wizard White's family approved it. Um, so I guess that's big. Um, we'll dig into it. Before I get into all of my thoughts on it, I want to make sure I remember to say that there is only one other number that is retired, uh, and that's Rashawn Salam's number 19, which was retired in 2017, and they decided they would retire it for 19 years because that was the number he wore, and uh, that means, and according to the press release, um, it says it will come available again for use no earlier than the 2036 season. And also the family has also proved it coming back into use at or after that time. So, uh, who knows, maybe they decide to keep it out of the circulation even longer. Um, but the earliest it'll be is 2036. Good to know they've talked to the family. It's a weird thing though. Typically retired numbers are, you know, retired. They never come back. Um, I don't, I honestly don't have many strong feelings here. Um, I think typically I'm on the side of the history. You, you retire something, you keep it retired, but I, I honestly don't have too strong of an opinion, which makes for a bad podcast, I guess. But you know, there, there's a lot of people on a football team. And that's why it's always so hard to retire football numbers. And the NFL in particular, uh, that's that's why teams are so hesitant to do that. Meanwhile, in baseball, I feel like the Yankees have like 20 numbers retired, 25 numbers retired, something like that, something crazy. But it's because your roster is only 25 players. That's not true. It's 40. But um, 
I don't know. It's it's a strange, strange thing. Um, in football, though, when you do have 53 active players in the offseason, that goes up to, what is it, 90? I think 90. Um, that means you can't really retire that many numbers. Uh, otherwise, you have to use duplicates, all that kind of stuff. There are ways around it. Um, college football, when you get players on both sides an offensive player wearing a number and a defensive player wearing the same number, it does open up some more, you know, this, this is pretty common. Um, other programs, uh, do the same thing that the buffs do. They unretire a number and then put a patch on that number. And so like, there'll be whoever's wearing number 11 will wear a patch that has like Bobby Anderson's name on it. Or, or maybe they have like old picture or maybe it's number 11, you know, something like that to, remember his achievements for the university um you know I, I there's a lot of speculation going around that this was a move to keep Ashad Clayton that they didn't think that they would land him and so that's why you unretire the number give him the number he wants make sure that you get potentially I mean he's the top recruit in the class potentially another guy who could be of this sort of caliber I doubt it I mean it's really tough to be an all-american but if anybody's going to do it it would make sense for the buffs that it would be him um yeah it's a it's a weird thing it's a really weird thing um I don't mind it I think it would have looked a lot better if you weren't unretiring the numbers right when this happened. Um, right when signing day happened, so it really does look like that was the move that you made. But, you know, you you, you got to do what you got to do. Um, again, I don't know what the thought process was. Um, and, I, and so I can't, I'm not just going to assume that it was one thing or another. But here we are, and I am really excited. I really like that number 11. I think somebody's going to do something in that number 11. But uh, worth noting for sure. Um, also worth noting that Braden Huffman Dixon, uh, who was one of the top recruits in last year's class, uh, a receiver decided to enter his name in the transfer portal. I... Uh, you know, I wish him the best and all that kind of stuff. He's obviously talented. I don't see it as a huge loss for Colorado. Um, just because you have so many receivers, it could be that he would have wound up being one of your top guys a couple years down the line. Honestly, it probably isn't a massive loss for the program. Um, We'll see, though. We'll see if he winds up going to UCLA and putting up big numbers, something like that. But, you know, the the way these receivers are stacked up now, you, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying a bunch of different things about them, saying that I'm concerned, but then now also saying that I'm not concerned. Um, the difference is that while I'm kind of concerned for the 2020 season, 2021, I'm not concerned at all. Um, this year, when you have... KD, you know what you have. I think he's probably going to kick it up another level here uh, this season, and I've said that in the last podcast. Um, and then you have 
behind him, Dimitri Stanley, who's another guy who I think picks it up a level and becomes a true number two receiver. And then the number three, you kind of have a question mark. Um, Daniel Arias could be that guy. Um, it would make a lot of sense. Just depends on whether he's figured out the position, whether he's learned the playbook, all that kind of stuff, and is ready to go out there um, and be a consistent producer, which is tough to do. And uh, he's he's looked all right in spot work. Being a full-time guy out there is another challenge. Uh, behind him, Maurice Bell is probably next up. Ah, it's it's tight. It's tight all through here. I mean, you could say Vontae Chenault is the likely number three this season, and I'm not sure I'd agree, but it's a it's a discussion for sure. Maurice Bell could be in that conversation. Um, Vontae projects to be a very important player, whether it's this year or whether it starts in 2021. Um, he. He isn't like Visca. He's a different player than Visca is, but he's more of a prototypical receiver. Um, he's fast. He's a good route runner. He isn't freakishly big. He's just a really good receiver. Um, Brendan Rice is a freshman. I know he wants to be a part of it. I tweeted out the quote um, from Mel when he was on the Pac-12 Network on signing day when Mel said that he isn't afraid to play freshman and whoever he thinks gives the best chance to win is going to win. And he thinks that his roster is a lot more competitive this year than it was last year. And Brendan quote tweeted me and said, actually I'll pull up the exact quote, but he quote tweeted me. Um, Keith Miller did as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there were any others. Uh, definitely those two, but, uh, what, what Brendan said was, ain't afraid of coming in and battling for a starting job. So that's a good sign. Uh, Keith Miller said something similar. Um, Ashad retweeted. I can't remember if he said anything. But I, mean, I think that that really was a big part of Mel's pitch was, you know, we typically don't pull a lot of players of Brendan Rice's caliber. And he's probably, what, the, the fifth or sixth ranked guy in the class and typically somebody in his spots more the second or third range. I'd have to go through and check those numbers, but somewhere right around there. Um, you know, to pull those guys to a program like Colorado that doesn't have the same recent history of success that an Alabama has or an Auburn has or uh, a Clemson has or, or even a Oregon has. Um, when you're recruiting out West, uh, Arizona state, maybe not recent success, but they have a little more hype there. I'd say they're a step ahead probably in the rebuild process. Um, you know, they started Jaden Daniels last year and put together the season they put together. The buffs likely have Brendan Lewis coming in this year and you know, you, you build from there. Um, so, so that was an option, especially for a guy from Arizona. Uh, Utah did what Utah did. Uh, USC is the brand name. That's a big market. That's where you're going to get a lot of attention no matter what. Um, Stanford, a little bit of a drop-off recently, but before that, competing for Pac-12 titles for sure. So to pick Colorado over some of those other places, you have to be convinced that they, as Mel puts it, check all the boxes. And one of those boxes is 
can you play right away? And that's something that a Colorado can offer that Oregon maybe can't. Um, just because Oregon is so backed up with talent. Um, they are competing for Pac-12 titles. There's a position for players of Brendan's caliber to come in and make an impact. I don't necessarily think it's likely. Um, I think that at receiver in particular, there's an uphill battle. You know, Braden Huffman-Dixon, he's gone. That that makes the path a little bit more clear. But, I mean, he's got to overtake... You know, if, if he wants to be, let's call it a five-receiver rotation, and sometimes it even gets a little bit deeper than that, I think this year it will get maybe all the way to like a seven-man rotation at receiver. I think Chev has said in the past that that's something he would like to see. But if if you have KD Nixon, you have Dimitri Stanley, you have Maurice Bell, you have Vonte, you have uh, Arias, you have uh, Curtis Cheverini. Um, Jalen Jackson, you know, that's, that's seven guys right there. And if you want to be getting consistent reps, you probably want to beat, you want to be that number four receiver. That means you got to beat out four of those guys. Plus you have to beat out Keith Miller. Um, that's a challenge. That's an uphill battle for somebody who's only played high school football. It's on the table. I think getting into that number five range, that number six range where you have to beat three of those guys, two of those guys, plus Keith Miller and the other freshmen, maybe that's a little bit more likely. And those are kind of those spot snaps that puts him kind of in that Daniel Arias range um, from last year where we see him take some snaps one week and then we don't see him at all for two weeks. Um, But I do think it's on the table and he has the talent to do it if anybody does. Um, it's uh, it's been tough in the past for young receivers to break through. Uh, you go back to Lavisca, who didn't get many reps at all until his sophomore year, which still just feels crazy that they couldn't find a role for him. But Colorado recently has had a lot of depth at receiver. Um, that's why last year we didn't get to see much of Vontae Chenault when I think we all really wanted to. Uh, there was that play where Visca was banged up and Vontae ran out onto the field, and they had to call a timeout, and it would have been his first snap of the season, and after the timeout, they threw somebody else in, and I'm pretty sure they called the timeout because he was lined up in the wrong spot, which is what you expect from a freshman, but uh, yeah, it's been really tough for young receivers to break through. I think we all want to see more of Jalen Jackson, too, um, because a couple of times he's touched the ball, Generally, good things have happened. Now, we did get to see more Dimitri Stanley last year, um, but I do think that now that you lose Visca, you lose Tony Brown, um, there is more of an opening. I do think that Dimitri Stanley, Katie Nixon, those are your one and two receivers. Who knows if Daniel Arias is going to break out, um, but I would say that Arias, Maurice Bell, Jalen Jackson, um, even Vontae Chenault, they're all beatable. If, if you're talented enough, if you're working hard enough, and if you're producing enough during camp. Um, if, if I were to guess at the order that the receivers will be on the depth chart, um, and actually, no, let's not even call it on the depth chart because sometimes a little bit of politics goes into the depth chart. Let's just say the order that the buffs are going to use their receivers. Katie Nixon, one. Dimitri Stanley, two. 
I'm going to go Maurice Bell, three, and then Vontae. You know what? Actually, I'm just going to go Vontae. I'm going to go Vontae, Maurice Bell, Arias, Jalen Jackson, Brendan Rice. I could see Brendan Rice jumping either of those last two, though. I don't know. Um, and again, Daniel Arias, he could break out and be a star. That's also totally on the table. And once we get into spring ball, we're going to start to hear some things. Um we don't get to watch practice. We'll get to see the spring game, but we will get to hear Mel talk and say, hey, whoever had a good day today. Uh, Brendan had a good day today. I guess Brendan won't be out there. But uh, those other guys. Um, that's kind of how I see it stacking up. All right. It's a Friday night. It's snowy outside. It's been like a blizzard for two days. It's been awful. Driving back from that Buffs game last night to Denver, was just awful. Couldn't see anything. I was like sliding around in front of the Capitol building. Um, not in like a fun way. In Montana, that's what you do in the winter. You just go out and slide around with your friends and drift and use the handbrake and all that kind of stuff. Here, there are cars on the road, so you can't get away with that kind of stuff. But uh, in a scary way. Point is, it's cold. It's winter outside. And it kind of makes it feel like the perfect night to hit up Mile High Green Cross. Um one of our incredible local partners. That's why it's Mile High, because of Denver. Um, they have award-winning products. Their prices are low. They, uh, they, they, What you see is what you pay. They factor the tax in. They have so many deals. Five cartridges for $100, V3 hash oil. Um, the best part is, if you sign up for their loyalty program, you can get 20% off your entire purchase once per month. Um for me, it's really convenient. It's at 9th and Broadway. I live at 9th and Sherman. And if you guys know Denver, you know that it's like two blocks away. Two blocks? One block away. Like It's like a block and a half because it's kind of around the corner. Point is, really close, really convenient to me. Probably convenient for some of you. They have parking if you can't walk like I can. They take hyper. You don't need cash. It takes nine minutes to get in and out. It's super fast. And again... If you sign up for their loyalty program, you get 20% off your entire purchase once per month. And that offer works for current members as well. Just got to mention us. Just mention us. Um, before we get out of here, we do have one question. And I looked at it earlier. And I think it comes in from Silverbuff. I always have this app open, but I also have my phone on like the low power mode. And so when I change the app... And then don't come back to it for like 40 minutes. It like refreshes and take me back to the beginning. So it doesn't use all about battery on my phone. Even though I'm at 66% and I don't, I'm not doing anything tonight. It's six o'clock. I'm just going to be near a phone charger anyway. Okay. Silverbuff says, all you need to know about the Regent race is that Smith, Shoemaker, and Kroll need to go. They're the ones who vote against anything football athletics. Huh. I, I should probably know what I'm talking about. I do not. Um, back to football. Looking at this class, I'm more excited for the defense. We have plenty of returning talent, exciting new people. Harris Gonzalez, and of course, Antonio Alfano. The rise season was because of the defense. That's where CU gets some upsets this year. I 100% agree. Um, this defense is going to be something special. I don't know. Here's the thing. It's it's not going to be a defense that wins you a Pac-12 championship. It just isn't. There's, there's still some holes. It's still pretty young. But I do think that 15 years from now, 20 years from now, we're all going to be looking back on this defense and saying, 
boy, were they fun. Wow, did I love that group of kids. Um, because they're, they're still two years away, probably, from being at full strength, um, from being what they're about to become. You know, sure, you're going to lose Nate Landman, Mustafa, uh, some of these other guys, but Antonio Alfano, his junior year, is going to be a monster. KJ Trujillo, uh, Dylan Thomas, who I'm really high on, Tariq Luckett, these corners are going to be monsters here pretty soon. Mark Perry in his junior year. Um, Jason Harris, once he gets some time to develop. I think Marvin Ham could be a lot of fun. Uh, the, the point is... A lot of these guys who I think are going to produce are just at the beginning. They're just scratching the surface of what they can do. And two years from now, that 2022 season, this defense is going to be special, special. As long as they can hold everybody together, as long as they keep recruiting well, get some young guys factored in there. But that doesn't mean that this year's defense won't be a whole lot of fun. I think it's still going to be a good defense. I still think it's one of, going to be one of the best in the Pac-12, but it won't be fully developed yet. Um, but again, like I said, 15, 20 years from now, when we're all like looking back on this era, this Mel Tucker era in Boulder, we're going to be talking about that twenty-two or 2022 defense saying, wow, that was one of the best defenses that we've seen in our lifetimes. And then we'll say, remember how much fun it was with watching that get built, that 2020 squad when Nate Landman was still a part of it, Mustafa Johnson? That's how I see this. This is the beginning of the process. And really those last few weeks of last season were the beginning of this process. Now we're going to start to see it all continue to come together and it's going to be a blast it's almost like the nuggets these last couple of years you know the the nuggets podcast guys were talking about something similar when nuggets fans will remember wancho and malik beasley who just got traded to minnesota and everybody will say wow they were fun they were part of that rebuild process it's too bad they didn't get to stick around for what was to come and i think that that's kind of what it is going to be for nate and mustafa um you know, I'm really high on Nate. I think that he, I, I think I'm on record saying that he isn't going to be a butt kiss award finalist, but he will be close enough to being a finalist that Buffs fans are going to be really angry that he wasn't. Um, and losing him is going to hurt for sure after next season, but there's just so much more talent on this defense that's going to develop. Um, if, if you get your option between full strength Nate Landman, full strength Antonio Alfano, you know, it's probably Antonio Alfano if everything breaks right. He just has that type of pedigree. If things go well for Antonio Alfano, he's a first-round draft pick. Nate Landman, I honestly think he could play himself into the second round, third round. He just probably isn't that first-round talent. He isn't the freak athlete that Antonio Alfano is. Um, and then you have those other guys who are also going to develop. It's... Uh, it's going to be so much fun. But again, next year, the Buffs are going to pull upsets because of this defense. Um, and I don't. I think it's going to be really under the radar, too. Uh, I, th- I think there's a chance that people will key in on Nate Landman and say, oh, wow, I can see how things could go right around him. Um, and if Antonio Alfano gets the waiver, then yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't think people will understand how good they were in 2019. I think that they're going to look at the numbers. I think they're going to 
think through this whole season and be like, well, remember how poorly they played against Arizona? Remember how they let Arizona win? Or Washington State, they just got torched. Um, Oregon, they couldn't even compete. They didn't belong on the same field. But they'll they'll think of those moments they remember, the blowouts that they'll see when they look at the paper, the the overall stats, the per-game stats that will factor in every game of the season, including before they really had pulled themselves together like they did for the most part in those last few weeks. In those last few weeks, outside of that Utah game, they kind of fell apart there. But they were in it for a while. But yeah, they really showed what they could do. Um, Washington, Stanford, just shutting those teams down. Um, that is what they became. That's what they're building off of. And I think they're starting from a, a higher level than a lot of outsiders will recognize. And that's why it's going to be such a shock uh, nationally and throughout the Pac-12 just how good this defense will be. Um, there aren't many holes, you know, and, and this has been a point that I've been making since I started this podcast on, like, I think, July 22nd. What you want in a football program is to have good players at every position. And as soon as you can go through and say, wow, I like our left end, our defensive tackle, our right end, I like our outside linebackers, like... And, and there's still a couple of holes there, but there aren't nearly as many as there were before. Right now, that defensive line is going to be incredible. Assuming you get Antonio Alfano's waiver through, and even if you don't, you're still probably in pretty good shape. You still should be one of the best in the Pac-12. Um, because you know that Mustafa is going to be good. You know that Antonio Alfano is going to be good. Um, I'm willing to just lock that up right now. Outside of that, you know, Terrence Lang, uh, I mean, they, they go seven deep there. Maybe some of those guys drop off a little bit. Maybe Denayim Rodman isn't quite himself. And if that's who drops off a little bit, there are plenty of guys who can step up and make up for that. Defensive line is fine. Nate Landman is one of your inside linebackers. Um, you're going to have a second inside linebacker on the field most of the time in this defense. Um, typically it's one of the outside linebackers that gets pulled for the star position. Um, but then when, once they go into that dime formation, then you'll lose your other inside linebacker. So I'm basically you have two inside linebackers unless they have four receivers or five receivers. Um, and it's a little more complex than that, but not a lot more complex than that. The second inside linebacker spot is one of those positions where you say that could be a hole. You know, John Van Deest did some really good things. He's coming back and, you know, he had changed positions still pretty recently within the last couple of years. He should still be developing um, more than you expect somebody to develop from their sophomore to junior year. Um, so he's going to be an option. You're going to have Akil Jones back, who could be an option. Josh Allen's still around. We didn't see much of him. Maybe he takes a step. But then also Marvin Ham, who I think I mentioned earlier, Fitz is more what, a more speedy cover back in my mind, and we'll we'll see what he can do. Um, plus, you get the transfer, uh, Brendan Pine, who could be a star, could be an inside linebacker, but you do have some options. There's a chance that you're ending up pretty happy at that position. Outside linebackers, I'm pretty low on that group. You know, I I see opportunities for them to get better, but based on what happened last year. I think you need more. I think maybe Jason Harris 
does contribute early on. You know, he he has that type of work ethic. He cares about the game in that way. Like I said, I think he's going to be a fan favorite um, quickly because of who he is off the field and in the locker room and in the weight room. Um, once Buffs fans get to know him, I think they're going to really like him. Uh, whether he is ready to go, who knows? He's a little bit light. Whether he actually is playing outside linebacker, I don't know. Um, who knows where he's going to fit best? I would guess that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Point is, there's some holes there too. Uh, cornerback, you're going to be just fine. Bringing back Makai Blackman, bringing back Chris Miller, who you lost for a lot of the season, and then combining that with KJ Trujillo, who's a star in the making, Tariq Luckett, Dylan Thomas, who showed good things, you're just fine there. Um, and that, again, that could be one of the best cornerback groups in the Pac-12 as well, um, as well as having the best defensive line. If those two things happen, you're in great shape. Um, safeties, maybe a hole, but but it's it's all just getting better and getting better. As soon as we get into the 2021 season, again, that inside linebacker spot, once you lose Nate Landman, gets even scarier. But outside of that, you're in great shape almost everywhere else. Um, and then that 2022 season is where I think you start to see great things happening maybe 2021 it could be 2021 um but yeah this defense is going to be really good this year this offense seems like it's built to put a good defense in good situations you know there are a lot of ideologies in football you can try to score a lot play fast get a lot of possessions that kind of stuff you can do the opposite a lot of coaches think a lot of different things but one of the most common thought processes is build a great defense and then put it in good situations you know score as many points as you can on offense but more than anything make sure the possession ends in a kick an extra point a field goal a punt you don't turn the ball over you don't give up good field position and I think that that's what the buffs are in pretty good position to do they have the defense. Um, they're seemingly bought in on the running game with all of these running backs um, because Ashad Clayton's official. That still feels pretty cool. You have Ashad, you have uh, Alex Fontenot, you have Jaron Mangum, and then a bunch of other guys who I really like. You're set. You're in great shape at running back. Again, one of the best running back groups in the Pac-12. If the Buffs can overcome the loss of Tim Lanott, the loss of... Uh, Arlington Hambright, then the offensive line should be in good shape. And all of a sudden, you're a ground and pound offensive team, run the clock out, um, put the defense in good situations, let the defense make some plays for you. And you can pull upsets. You should also be able to beat the teams you should beat. That looks like how things will go, especially because you have a running quarterback, which opens things up. Um, Turn every play into a read option, and you pull one more defender away because that defender is committing to somebody who doesn't have the ball. Um, it's it's shaping up to have some real potential, even if you end up with a freshman quarterback. Um, uh, you know, we've talked about that talented receiver. We've we haven't talked much about the tight ends, but Brady Russell is a beast, and. Who knows what the other guys are going to do behind him? Poplowski, uh, Brumba, a couple of guys I like there for sure. Um, Foria even. He's a little light. But um, you see this identity coming together, and I like it. I really like it. 
I think it fits well, and I could definitely see some upsets on the way. Um, if you guys have any questions or thoughts, um, then throw them in the comment section at thednvr.com under the post for today's show, and I will get to them on Monday. Uh, that's going to do it for today. Hopefully I see you guys at the watch party tomorrow or at the Buffs game tomorrow or wherever else I could see you. Um, and if not, I'll talk to you on Monday. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey. Hey. And you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.